HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode of HR and on tour was recorded as part of the 2020 Nyman Ranch Hog Farmer Appreciation Celebration. For the past 21 years, Nyman Ranch has hosted a Hog Farmer Appreciation Dinner in Iowa to celebrate their community of independent U.S. family farmers. In 2020, COVID-19 made it unsafe to gather together in person, but it was important to continue the annual celebration and hold their Hog Farmer Appreciation Dinner. This series of special virtual events took place between August 5th and September 11th. We hope you enjoy listening in on some of these conversations. Hi, good afternoon, everybody. Good morning, in some cases. Um, I'm Catherine Miller. I'm the Vice President of Impact at the James Beard Foundation. And before we get started with our amazing panel of culinary leaders, just a couple of housekeeping notes for you all. Um, if you're here, you know this is a panel in a series of events for Nyman Ranch's 22nd Annual Hog Farmer Appreciation Celebration. Um, this series features luminaries such as Michael Poland, Dr. Temple Grandin, um, virtual farm tours, chef and farmer panels like this one, um, all to celebrate the work of and the network of independent family farmers and sustainable agriculture. So thanks to Nyman Ranch for hosting this in lieu of us all being on a beautiful farm somewhere together. Um, if you don't have it already, um, just please feel free to visit Nyman Ranch hfad.com for more information on the various events that are happening. Um, we encourage you to leave questions in the chat. Um, we'll leave about 15 minutes. I'll leave about 15 minutes at the end of this panel for Q&A from the audience. So please feel free to um, put anything that you might want to know from these amazing um, chefs and leaders into the chat and um, we'll take those questions as we can about 15 minutes towards the end. So let's get started. I'm going to do some brief introductions of this amazing group of people, and, and I'll use the word amazing a lot, so just know that. Um, uh, so first, I want to introduce uh, Chef Elizabeth Faulkner. Um, she is a chef, an author, an activist. Uh, she works with numerous brands around the country and around the world, um, and she is, and her bio says this, and I totally agree with it, she re is relentless um, in cooking, in art, and advocacy, and focusing on the causes that she cares about, and so we're really happy to have Elizabeth with us today. Um, we're also super, um, we're very happy to have Neven Patel here. Um, Neven has Ghee Indian Kitchen in Miami, but is also um, probably notable in this um, time of pandemic to be one of the chefs around the country who actually opened a restaurant, brand new restaurant just a few weeks ago. And so we'll 
great to hear from him. Um, but he is um, works really closely with farmers and purveyors um, in his local community. Um, and he also has a great backyard, uh, which he's speaking to us from Rancho Patel, where he's cultivating greens, fruits and vegetables, and has a personal motto, which I also quite like, which is be inquisitive. So get to know the world around you. So um, please welcome Chef Patel. We also have Rachel Yang uh, from Seattle, who is with us, the owner and operator, chef and owner of two restaurants, Jewel and Revel in Seattle, um, a six-time James Beard Award nominee for Beth Northwest Chef. Um, and she and her husband, Safe, um, own these two restaurants. And really, her cuisine and their approach is really informed by both equal parts of her personal history as a Korean native, but also her experience in some of the um, amazing kitchens around um, the country, including Per Se and DB Bistro Modern. So welcome, uh, Rachel. And then finally, but not least, is uh, Chef Anita Cartagena from Protea in uh, Yontville. Um, there she's really uh, mixing up her sort of global cuisine, her Puerto Rican heritage, um, and uh, really bringing spice and passion to the kitchen. She is also coming to us sort of live from a um, growing disaster area. So Anita, thanks. I'm glad that you're here and safe. Um, so I just want to start uh, with this uh panel and really just open it up to for you guys to get to know each of the um, chefs just a little bit. And I'll start with Rachel. Um, I thought maybe we would just have each of them talk about a little bit where they are um, and how they're doing at this time and um, give us a little context to their current personal experience. Rachel. Thank you, Catherine. Um, it is so nice to be back here. I mean, I got to meet actually in person so many of you guys last year. I was so lucky to be able to go to Hawk Farmers Reputation Dinner and cooked up some really amazing fun food with so many different people. But more than anything, just meeting so many people at Nyman and meeting farmers and then doing the farm tour really kind of, you know, put the, the place in like this in right here for me. Um, I'm here in Seattle. I have a two restaurants, Rebel and Jewel. They've been both open for 12, 10 years, respectfully. Um, we were just talking about it's such a surreal time. I mean, you know, Seattle was one of the early city to shut down experiencing this pandemic uh, back in early, early March. Um, we had closed down all the restaurants when we were able to close down. However, we keep the restaurant open for takeouts. Unfortunately, uh, uh, during the I did have to close down one of the restaurants. Uh, in Portland, and um, one of the restaurants in Portland. So that um, I'm, it, it, this is this is the time where we are feeling that even though we are here surviving and having this meeting, and know that it's not the things are not the same. Things are not the same for a lot of us, and we are we are to try to move forward. No, it's great, Rachel. And Rachel, if you just check your internet, because you're sort of breaking up a little. Um, so just, uh, but I think everybody got the general context of Seattle being one of the first to close your own personal changes that you've had to make and that you're still standing. So welcome, but just um, double check your internet connection. Um, Anita, how are you? Hi, Catherine. Good morning, how are you guys? Yeah. That's such a such a loaded question these days, right? I know, I know. I, I hurt myself when I asked it. Um, 
Well, my name is Anita. I'm Anita Cartagena. I have a restaurant here now opened for coming up on five years in Yonville, California. Um, during this whole shelter in place and pandemic, it was kind of like we were open, now you're closed. So it was, there was really no, no lead in for us. Um, we decided to just remain open anyway. Uh, my restaurant is pretty much built for this pandemic. Uh, we do a lot of takeaway and box lunches and things like that for wineries and tourists and uh, locals alike. So it was not such a, a, a such a, and I don't know what I'm trying to say, anything too far out of our box to, you know, just do the delivery and the takeaway program. We started at home, uh, cook at home bundles as well during uh, those shelter in place weeks where we would package everything, include a, you know, a, a recipe and explanation of how to, cook it at home. Um, the hard thing about the whole shelter in place was um, having to let go or um, just um, my team. Uh, it's been hard. And I'm sorry if I get emotional. Um, I apologize. I've not publicly spoken to anyone about this. So, um, but we're still here. We're doing what we can every day. Um, and now we have fires to um, contend with, so that's kind of put the pandemic in the back burner, and we're hoping to just continue to be here. But for us, it's just day to day. I'm really excited to be with you guys again, because like Rachel, I was able to go last year and meet firsthand with all of the farmers and all of the people at Nyman Ranch and being able to put together a beautiful meal for them as my appreciation to them. So thank you for having me back. Sorry about the tears. No, there are no apologies. Right now, there are no apologies for tears, for swearing, for anything. And I think all of us would probably <laughs> give anything to be standing in Paul Willis's field hugging a baby piglet again right now. I think <laughs> I think we would. Um, and, you know, some great, uh, you'll see some great words of encouragement in the chat there, Anita. Um, Neiman, um, how are you? Oh, it's been a roller coaster of emotions here. I'm uh, talking to you from Miami. Oh, sorry, <laughs> sorry. phone call. Um, yeah, I'm talking to you from Miami here. Um, we, like everyone else in our industry, have got really hit hard. Um, I have two restaurants, um, Ghee Indian Kitchen, Actually, three restaurants. I forget about one because it never actually opened up. <laughs> um, so we have Ghee Indian Kitchen, where it's a farm-to-table kind of concept. Um, I'm talking to you from basically my yard, where we've converted into a farm for the restaurants. Um, and a newly opened restaurant that just opened up two weeks ago called Mamey. Um, in March, it was a roller coaster of emotions when... Um, our small business, um, I'm kind of a self-financed restaurant tour, which is insane to think about. Um, so basically I have my whole life savings and everything into these restaurants and everything that we've kind of built and it all came crumbling down, uh, March 15th, where we had to lay off 74 employees and basically it was just back to me and my wife in the kitchen trying to survive but um 
we've kind of got past that. And it was through a lot of support from our community. Um, every day we were cooking up whatever we were picking from the farm or um, some donations from Nyman. Um, they really, you know, our community plus like kind of people in our whole industry kind of came together. And it was really good to see, um, you know, we reached out to Nyman, Nyman reached out to us and we started doing um, like family meal kits for laid off uh, workers in our industry. And today we've probably uh, fed around like 3000 meals to families doing that. Um, and it's just been a roller coaster of like ups and downs, opens and closes. Um, but one thing that's kind of come out of this is like, you know, everyone has like their tight knit communities and we as culinarians, restaurateurs, um, kind of underappreciate ourselves of what we kind of bring to our community. And I think through this, um, I've noticed that people actually care about what we do. And I think it's just more about getting the voice out there of what we do and the passion that we have and everything that we do. Um, that's amazing. And I want to get to that in a second with all of you, because you've all been doing some amazing work in the community. But Elizabeth, how are, how are you? Where are you? Um, I moved to Los Angeles in June, believe it or not. Um, and most people know me from my long running restaurant history in San Francisco. Um, then I moved to New York and lived there for eight years. Um, and then just when the pandemic hit, I had a sort of a case of post-traumatic restaurant stress disorder that hit me hard. Um, when I saw everybody having to shut down their restaurants, which I have done before, uh, after the 2008 stock market crash uh, in San Francisco, I had a few restaurants and tried to hold on to them for three years. And I'm watching all of you guys, all these people struggling uh, right now. And it reminds me of that period of time. But um, you know, I think we're going to get through this in different ways. Um, we have to be creative and, uh, but I've moved to LA and I'm, I'm working on a, um, on a food related doc, a chef related documentary, uh, that sort of came up earlier this year. I was talking to a director friend of mine about how chefs really deal with crisis. And then all of a sudden the pandemic hit. So in June, we decided we would go out and start having, I would have chef to chef conversations with, people in the industry on both coasts and a lot of virtual ones, those were live and then virtual ones in between. And then, so now we're in editing of that. And um, I spoke to about 50 different people of all different kinds of um, backgrounds and different kinds of restaurants and uh, different responses to the, to the everything that's going on and all of the things that have come up in during the pandemic. So it's just a, uh, this is a crazy time. And I, I really feel and uh, sympathize with everybody's constant punching, getting punched in the face and uh, in the gut and trying to pick up and do it all over again because chefs and restaurant people are absolutely the most resilient people. Yeah, no, and I, it's, it's so nice to hear all of you so honestly share because I think also the farmers and the independent business owners also who are also part of the audience of this call can probably really feel what you guys are feeling as well. Um, as restaurants close, there was such a huge impact on our local farms, our local supply chain. Um, and so it's, it, you know, the restaurant community is, is not only the, the chefs and the cooks and the 
kitchen folks, but also those who help us put that food on the table. So thanks. I, just a, a quick show of hands, because I think all of you, all of you are doing, have done some sort of a community project here in COVID, feeding restaurant meals, volunteering. Yeah. And, you know, Rachel, I want to try and just bring you back to just hoping that your tech's working. What have you guys been doing in Seattle? Have you been doing rest, meals for restaurant workers? Yeah. So, um, um, ever since we closed down, uh, we opened back with, you know, it's kind of same as living. Then we laid off, you know, 70 plus people that we had in our restaurants. They were just me, myself, and a manager in back in the kitchen. Um, you know, it's kind of like, you know, we are all basically doing just whatever we can, right? I mean, like we all, all our survivor instinct kind of kicked in. Okay, we just have to do this. It's like, you know, being on a Friday night service where your dishwasher walks out, you're, you have no hot water, you just kind of have to figure out what to do. And I think that's what all the chefs are known for. And we are all here um, in this restaurant, you know, trying to how to survive but at the same time, you know, we are the ones who are making food. And I think the, the fact that, you know, we all realized was that food is what is the most essential for people just to survive. And, you know, when you see your empl your employees being laid off and you see your community, you know, having a hard time, when you see those essential workers going to work and, you know, having to work, you know, 12, 14 hour shifts, you hear about the fact that like, you know, the one thing that we can do that we are good at and we know how to do is feed people. And I think we all just kind of realize, okay, we gotta we gotta find a way to, you know, just lend whatever we can. You know, in the beginning, we had a lot of surplus of, you know, things that we had in the walk-ins, like everyone else. You know, literally, you know, you get on a news feed at eight o'clock on Sunday night, and you have to close down at twelve p.m., twelve a.m. of that day of. So it's kind of finding out. Okay, first, you know, we got everyone together to just kind of, you know, cook up whatever we had we we can, and then just to kind of feed people. And then we were talking to a few other folks and then, you know, we got in touch with Nyman Ranch and then like, hey, like we are, we are interested in cooking. We are interested in cooking whatever we can to feed people. And Nyman was gracious enough to be able to um, donate their products, you know, uh, being able to get, you know, just and all, all sorts of different beef and pork and all different items. And we just made a family meals, you know, we called it Fremont family meals that we're feeding to anyone who's walking into the door, people can pre-order for their families. Um, so we've done that through the entire um, March, April, May. At the same time, we, we did a box lunch for our um, hospital workers. Um, same thing that, you know, I think just kind of finding whatever we can to feed our hospitals, uh, people who are working um, not being able to, I mean, it, this is kind of really crazy time because, you know, so many of us are here. We want to do, do the same time. We're trying to be like, how to safe, how do we you know not to yeah. expend too much, not, not to have too many you know, outputs out there. Kind of finding a right. I think we, you know, as a restaurant with two as a restaurant with two oh, restaurants, Rachel, we're, we're, able to... we're sort of losing you again. Sorry. <laughs> um, but I, yeah, I mean, hospital workers and the emergency response workers and your own workers. And Anita, you were nodding throughout that. Is same similar situation for you? Uh, yeah. Uh, unfortunately, because I am an independently owned restaurant, I don't have a lot of surplus of cash or things, you know, to give as much as I want. But we definitely do our part for the community. Um, I've had Nyman Ranch extend those gifts to me so I'm able to give back to my community. As Chef Rachel said, whenever there is a surplus of anything, I kind of take a look around and think to myself, okay, who can benefit from this? And then it goes to those people. We have a lot of veterans that come through here 
who don't have a lot of money. So um, as just just simply, uh, sorry, my Siri is thinking I'm talking to her. It um, wouldn't be it so, wouldn't be Zoom if it, right. So <laughs> never work when I need you. Um, so um, in having the local community as well, just call me up. I have um, this uh, couple here who is just so incredibly generous. They called me not too long ago and they said, you know, we want to put together a lunch, a bundle for the policemen of the, you know, the local police here. And so I was able to just put together sandwiches and empanadas and things like that. And it got sent to them at a certain time. So I've been able to do a lot of that. That's um, amazing. Thank you. Yeah. Um, right now for the fires and the first responders, I have actually spoken to a couple of uh, captains, uh, officers that I've seen just literally driving by here. Um, I've expressed to them that if there's ever anything that they need, please contact us, giving them my information. And then also on Facebook, um, one of my friends, Christopher, has put out kind of like a blast saying, if anybody needs anything, contact Rotea Restaurant. They're there for you. So, so it's, I mean, you guys are all, chefs and restaurants are some of the most generous folks and to be backed up by donations from Diamond or other purveyors is, is really great and makes it possible. Elizabeth, you were traveling around the country and talking to folks. Are you seeing the same similar thing? I mean, I'm seeing it nationally. Were you seeing it and talking to folks nationally, this community response piece? Yeah, I mean, so many people are, I mean, it comes down to um, something we talked about earlier where food is essential, not a luxury or, um, or leisure. Um, I mean, I feel like in our sort of normal restaurant world of the past, it seems like food has been marketed or restaurants have been marketed to being sort of something of um, luxury or leisure. And the way we talk about uh, getting responsible food, meaning like farmers or artisans who make, you know, responsible cuisine, um, it, it, it shouldn't be treated like it's some kind of like fancy pants, luxurious, uh, you know, part of our life. It's actually essential. And, and chefs, I think, are proving that consistently right now is that this is essential. We're essential workers where everybody's making food because people just the, the nature of these of chefs and restaurateurs is is very giving. Um, it's giving. It's constantly giving. I mean, the, the amount of people that. Um, started asking chefs at the beginning of the pandemic uh, from, from nonprofits to do, um, you know, help fundraising is, is a good indicator of how giving this community is and how, you know, people just get up and start making food for, you know, whoever, whoever needs it basically. So yeah. I think our value, the way we look at food is already shifting quite a bit. Yeah. But let's talk about that. I mean, and even, I just want to ask you this question. I mean, it, you obviously opened a restaurant, but you've seen so much change in the last 17, 18 weeks, right? And as Elizabeth started pointing out, like, I think we're seeing a shift in pieces. Are there things about this time that you would like to see keep any innovations that you've seen yourself or others do? Um, things that you feel like this is going to be the way mm -hmm. of the future? Yeah, I think it's just um, one of the biggest things I think is from the consumer standpoint, understanding the real economics of what makes a restaurant run and what makes the whole ecosystem of like our industry run. I think a lot of people didn't understand what went into like, just like a simple dish that went onto the plate and you ate it, right? 
I think now people understand like it's starts with the farmers, then the purveyors, then it comes to our kitchen, we handle it. There's so many layers that I think we're kind of lost. And I think people are understanding a little bit more of the supply chain of like how everything works. And people are being a little bit more generous than they ever have. I hope it kind of stays like that, right? In these like tough times, we had to go to this, you know, we all had to go to this takeout model. And takeout model, traditionally, there's no tipping, there's no graciousness. This is like order online, order over the phone, pick up your bag and leave. And people were coming to our restaurant, to our doors and like picking it up and asking, how are you doing? And leaving a tip or leaving, like we've even had some of our regulars like buy gift cards, like thousands, $2,000 gift cards to kind of keep us, you know, supporting us to keep us alive. It was really good to see. Yeah, that's amazing. I mean, you guys have been such generous contributors to communities and some of that coming back to you, right? Mm-hmm. Right. And then, Rachel, how about you guys in Seattle? Things that you want to see stay? You guys were among the first innovators. Like, the, you guys were doing crazy stuff in Seattle to stay alive. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, I think we are all realizing, you know, we are all learning so much from this, you know, period. I mean, like, you know, we are always here to adapt. We are always to be flexible. And I think just being able to kind of see what's happening so obviously the takeout business, I mean, like we are all learning, you know, whether you are a fine dining restaurant to a takeout sandwich shop already, you know, everyone's learning the art of takeout, which is kind of interesting and kind of crazy, you know, like it, it comes from, you know, the packaging to the bags to, you know, and, it, and, and then and the thing we realized that, you know, obviously what we miss so much is the fact that we miss interaction with our customer because I mean that's what restaurants all about so we are learning how to take this takeout business to next level you know we're doing meal kits we're doing takeouts where it's not just a hey you take it home and you're done with that it's all about basically like hey this is how you cook it this is how you plate it and you know people are kind of exchanging ideas of like oh this is how you these are the great combinations together and you're talking about your food to still with the customers in a way that the takeout can still be a very interactive part of the dining experience. So as a restaurant, we are learning how to take, you know, how to stay still, you know, give people a different experience than just the, the, the meal they're having at home. Still, it's a from restaurant and it's still having this chef's touch and all that stuff. Yeah. Um, I think more than anything, restaurants are learning that, you know, through this process, you know, you learn how to be efficient. I mean, we all really need, we're all here to survive. And when you're trying to survive, you really learn how to stretch yourself, how to, you know, um, uh, how to do things, you know, you know, you know the minimum uh, labor. And I think we all, all the chefs are talking about, you know, without the, without having all these employees, so we're all learning how to survive on the very, very small expense. And I think that's something that we'll all take on to see how we can succeed after all this is over. Yeah, so community efficiency takeout. Um, also, I think alcohol to go is a big one for a lot of folks, yeah. <laughs> right? Anita, what kind of innovations have you been seeing? Well, definitely not just from myself, but other restaurants here in Yonville, watching them just kind of turn on a dime and put together the programs for their restaurants and, you know, their staff, you know, just watching Thomas Keller alone put together programs to feed his employees, you know, just watching all of these boxed uh, lunches and dinners go out to specifically to his team that he had to let go, but then also helping us, the community along the way. It's just, 
it, it's really brought the whole community together, I feel. You know, we chefs, you know, sometimes I felt kind of alone as a chef here in Yonville at times. But now having people just hit me up on Instagram and say, hi, how, how are you doing this? Can you give me some feedback to see, you know, if I can take it back to my team, la, la, la. So that, that really gave me a really close sense of not being alone which was really helpful in the beginning. I mean, right now it's day-to-day, hour-to-hour, and I really hope to continue that after all of this is said and done. Um, Definitely continuing the meal kits. Um, I've been approached by a lot of locals about those. You know, I get calls. They're like, when are you bringing back those pork chops? Thank you, Nyman Ranch. We (laughs) will be bringing those back. That was the biggest hit ever. (laughs) So... Um, so things like that, um, definitely, as Rachel said, I concur with everything she's saying. Um, just, yeah, no, I mean, I think to be creative. Yeah. Yeah. And Elizabeth, I mean, have you been seeing that as well? Just people being creative things that they've been doing? Yeah. I mean, uh, one of the guys I spoke with in Los Angeles, uh, Perry Chung, who's a chef here, uh, was, has quite a, has a couple of different kitchens. Uh, he has a restaurant called Forage courage like foe but fa, you know I'm, I'm trying to phonetically spell it for people um courage I thought it was very cute but um he was talking about how uh, a friend of a colleague of his was doing Detroit style pizza in his kitchen and then we started talking about this the collaborative kitchen um I think that what we might see uh just is with the way the community is coming together like Anita was talking about um and that more i and because of the cost and the, you know, responsibility like Chef Neven uh, has on his shoulders with carrying the weight of all these restaurants with your own investment is, is kind of insane. It's already this broken model that we've been following. And I think in the, what we're going to see pretty quickly and over time is more and more chefs coming together to do collaborative, you know, um, using the, a brick and mortar space to do more than one concept so that you're not spending your whole life seven days a week trying to figure out how to pay that rent and all those utilities and everything that comes with this restaurant business um, and the labor into like, Hey, I do like something really good and I'm going to do it three or four days a week. And then somebody else is going to come in here and do another concept. And I think we're going to see a lot more of that kind of shared space. Like there are some models already out there where people, you know, like hot bread kitchen in Harlem or La Cocina in San Francisco. I mean, those are good models, actually, for what I think is what what ought to happen in a lot of ways in, in the restaurant community. Yeah, I mean, we're definitely seeing stuff that, I mean, people were potentially scared of before, right? Uh, maybe that even that was takeout for some folks who kind of quickly went to takeout, like, is the food going to translate? Is, you know, and I know that many of you may have made menu modifications, uh, have changed up, you know, sort of how you package the food for takeout, you know, but also just... So that's like a small example, but we've seen lots of examples of collaboration, people using shared spaces, a rise in ghost kitchens, a rise in, you know, private, going back to private chef, like the, and we used to talk about it in the concept of brand diversification, and now it just feels like survival, right? (laughs) Like, um, if you had all of those things. Um, there were, there's a couple of questions and I'm just going to look really quickly here at the chat, but there's, you know, we touched on what you guys would like to think, 
sticks after this, right? So meal kits stay potentially for some of you, um, you know, takeout probably stays, alcohol to go probably stays, community collaboration, um, a breakdown in sort of the silos of you, each other in your communities, right? More collaboration. Um, is there a specific, you know, this is just always a fun one. Is there a specific item on your menu or something that you've changed due to what you've gone through? Have you reintroduced something like, uh, or changed something to, um, introduce it to the community? I know just as an example, I know one chef who's suddenly, you know, gone to serving food from her true heritage, right? Because now it translates really well to takeout. So she's... Mm -hmm. Um, I'm just wondering if there's been a menu addition or a menu change or something that you've found. Anita, yeah. Yeah, definitely touching on that. Um, I decided, I mean, because my menu is global, I love to cook everything. Um, but as soon as this came to be what it was, I thought to myself, what would I want to eat right now? You know, while I'm huddled in the corner crying like a baby, you know? So I definitely catered my menu to be very, very, very soulful, very um, just heartwarming. You take it home, you heat it up, and you feel the love into it. So, yeah, absolutely. I think definitely food that comforts you is the way to go. No, 100%. Rachel, yeah, so similar to you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think especially now that we are, you know, summer is kind of winding down and we are not really looking forward to winter, especially, you know, when there's no more outdoor dining and whatnot. I think we are really focusing on winter takeout, fall takeouts. And I think especially because like what Anita says, it's all about the comfort food. And I think, you know, people go back sort of their heritage to kind of, you know, in our restaurants, we do Korean fusion, but I think we've gone more to Korean than ever, just because, you know, just kind of give people more soulfulness of like what they can just be a little more, get a little bit of that, you know, like, not just like, you know, warm in your belly, but like warm right here, just to feel like, hey, like they have been taken care of. There's love in food. Yeah, Neven, same for you. Yeah, um, again, it's like almost like that same comfort theme that we just talked about. Um, we kind of like obviously scaled everything down and now it's like slowly layering up back to where we used to be. But then also, um, like, you know, we did like a dosa week where, you know, we did like the South Indian style dosas and like three or four different fillings and, you know, just like reintroducing things that keep people... You know, because there is also that takeout fatigue, I would say, like ordering the same thing from your same places and like just kind of keep reinventing and bringing new things to the mix has been important. Yeah, no, as a consumer, as we order every couple of days from a, a restaurant in New York, like we're constantly going back to our same favorite restaurants by working our way through the menu if we can, yeah. <laughs> right? Exactly. Um, yeah. Yeah. And yeah. Elizabeth, have you started baking anything, cooking anything different in this time or? Well, I mean, I, you know, I haven't, um, I'm not running restaurants like everybody else on yeah. the panel. Um, but I, what I want to tell the chefs particularly here and anybody listening is that because I have owned restaurants before and opened quite a few restaurants and closed some too, um, it, that I'm, I'm, I know that when I, stopped working full-time in restaurants six, almost seven years ago now. Um, I, I didn't really know what my life would be like outside of restaurants because that's all I really knew since I've been in this business for 30 years. And I just want you guys to know that there is a lot to do with food outside <laughs> of restaurants. Um, 
And so yeah. <laughs> it's, I just want you to know that because it might seem like the end of the world in multiple apocalyptic ways right now. Um, but it's really not. It's just, it's a COVID has given us an opportunity to stop and look at things differently and maybe re-examine how we, uh, how we do things, how we do this business. And, um, so I just, I just wanted to give you that because of course I've been baking sourdough bread. I've always baked sourdough bread and I make lots of pieces <laughs> and I have a smoker now, so I smoke things, but mostly I just really have been wanting to, um, spread that message to people mostly through social social media of me cooking i've learned how to be a filmmaker again which is where i originally started um and i'm working on more and more of that so i can express food in all of our um restaurant world through another medium and hopefully um you know share some of the stories that we all have and everybody needs to hear and understand yeah, no, I definitely feel like, Elizabeth, you have one of the best social media feeds for balance, right? Like there's a, you do a video on the film that you're working on, you'll do something related to fitness, you'll do something related to cooking, something just from the mm -hmm. garden. It's it's a nice reminder that there's life outside of the kitchen, so yeah. to speak. Um, and a and you can still keep cooking too, so that's never going to stop. Yeah, you can still keep cooking. So we've got a couple of questions that I think we should just turn to. We're sort of at right about that time that we were going to go here anyway, but there's some big topics. Um, one thing that I want to just touch on, because I think it touched on both, it's something that Elizabeth has mentioned, and even you mentioned it uh, is sort of tangentially, is you know before COVID, a lot of chefs were doing stuff related to environmental sustainability, better animal practices, really conscious decisions about your menus and your choices. Has any of that had to change for you during this time? I mean, have you been, because of supply chain issues, like have you been forced to serve something you didn't want to force or take something off the menu because you couldn't find it? I mean, can we talk a little bit about how you guys have been adapting to the supply chain, Neven, you kind of nodding yeah. and you're sitting on yeah. a farm. So let's start with you. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the approach that we kind of took here from the beginning of a lot of our restaurants was sustainability and changing the menu often. So for us, it was actually a lot easier because we basically just stripped everything down and we we're cooking everything that was coming from the farm. Um, and then also, when we were using products like Nyman or other like more sustainable kind of products, the supply chain for us actually didn't get affected as much as like the commodity market, I would say. Like even our prices have either stayed the same or even went down. Um, and being able to adapt became a lot easier for me and the whole team around us really, because we always thought that way, I would say. And Anita, you you're going to you're sort of sitting in the uh, agricultural center of the California. Yes. Yeah. Um, here, I'm never without product, and to have purveyors like Nyman Ranch who worked with us during this time, uh, my prices have not fluctuated as they usually have. You know, depending on product and availability, and and so on and so forth, they have been so incredible. So I've been. I did scale back what I was doing. Um, I have not brought in any um, any goat. I know, guys, I'm, it's coming back, I promise. But nothing that's way, way too high in price so that my prices on my menu can remain even keel for people out there who are hurting for money right now too. So that's something that I have to consider when I'm putting together my menu. And because my menu does change every day, 
I don't have to have a giant surplus of product here, you know, for uh, my menu. So depending on what I have, that's what I cook. Yeah. You know, and I've kept it very simple. And the good thing about me is that I'm able to cook a lot of different foods. So I can still give you the same product, but in a different, you know, way. So um, that's the way that we've kind of. But you raise it. Yeah, but you raise an interesting piece of like, okay, I'm going to take goat off the menu at this moment, right? We're seeing a lot of folks remove um, high perishable seafood from their menus, right? Because they don't know if it's going to sell, that kind of stuff. Rachel, is that the similar, are you doing similar or different related to Yeah, I mean, I I think it's yes and no. I mean, I think we're all trying to find a way to survive, right? But at the same time, we are restaurant tours and we have a restaurant where it's not a grocery store or it's not a place where people have certain expectations when they come in and more than anything we are we're all aware of the fact that it's a, this is still in this during this time it's still very competitive I mean like you know takeout trying to pitch your takeout trying to market your takeout is way harder than having people come in and having a full experience at a restaurant um you have to constantly use social media to you know talk about your menu new items and I think you know, not just because of the reason, but I mean, like, it's so ingrained in us, but we all realize how important it is to, you know, have that kind of connection, have that kind of, you know, sort of a, a standard for your food that you're making and having a like interesting food, you know, it's not just basically obviously it's a sustainable items, but also restaurants are different from other places because, you know, because we have a pork collar, because we have beef jabaton, because we sell lamb ribs. And I think, those kind of specialty products that comes from, you know, from uh, certain farmers and because, I mean, they do smaller uh, productions and, you know, smaller fabrications and stuff. And that's, that, that's what makes restaurants still a restaurant and still different than, you know, you're just something that you cook at home. So I think we try to differentiate ourselves from a menu that, you know, that you can buy other places to buy being able to bring in sustainable, by bringing, you know, items that are not found at any other grocery stores. No, that's such a great point and actually makes me really crave lamb ribs right now. <laughs> I feel like that's going to be something. And Elizabeth, are you, what are you seeing around? I mean, you've talked to so many chefs. I mean, are they, do you feel like people are changing their menus, adapting in the way that Rachel is suggesting or like to differentiate themselves? Like what kind of things are you seeing? Yeah. I mean, you know, some people, I, I'm thinking about a, f- a few people here, but like my friend Sylvia Barban in Brooklyn uh, already had a little handmade pasta counter in the back of the restaurant, but they, quickly moved that they never even shut down for a day. They moved that counter up to the front, made it more of a market, you know, uh, Antonio LaFaso out here in Los Angeles is doing, uh, has been doing that at a couple of her restaurants where they just, everything's kind of pushed to the front Mm -hmm. and it becomes a store. Some people just don't have the real good setup for that. So, um, I'm thinking about Nikki Nakayama at, uh, in Naka who she and Carol, um, you know, that's a really hard reservation to get. Uh, it just in general. And then now, then they started doing bento box, like really nice bento boxes, which I still don't think they charge enough for um, because you know, the quality is like out of control high, um, but they're really hard to get too. It's like, it's hard to get a bento box there as it is a reservation as it was mm-hmm. to get a reservation. Um, and I think, and I've heard like, uh, I can't remember how I heard this, but like Nancy Silverton putting food in a box is, you know, complicated because even though that like the food has layers of textures and stuff like that. So like, I can just hear her saying, you know, Oh my God, we have to replate that. Like we have to rebox that doesn't look good in a box. I can't believe we're putting this in a box. Um, 
so everybody's, I think, trying to figure out creative solutions to, um, you know, to getting oh, that. Yeah, I was watching, I was on Instagram, of course, and looking at Dominique Krenz to-go boxes. And they're beautiful. And they're just as elaborate as eating there. And I was like, oh, my God. How do right. you get one of those? <laughs> how do you get one? You can't get one in New York. It's becoming a whole thing now. Like, how do you, like, somebody posted a picture of, like, homemade chocolate granola and house-made yogurt. And I was like, that's what I'm talking about. Like, that's cool. Like more of that. Yeah. No chocolate, chocolate, uh, granola is, it sounds like I'm putting that up right with lamb ribs. Um, (laughs) you know, a couple of just very specific questions, um, that have come out here, but one is a big topic. Are any of you involved with local or national public policy efforts in support of restaurants and farmers at this time, like the independent restaurant coalition or your local um, policy piece? Is that something that any of you are working on? No. I don't think they have time. Yeah, I don't think you guys have <laughs> we time. We don't. Um, no. I've been on a couple of the IRC, IRC calls just to listen um, because I'm not running a restaurant, but I'm definitely interested in f- finding out where the group is going with um, that bill. And then um, uh, also I've, you know, I do, I do a lot of events. I mean, I, I, I'm used to cooking at tons of events and fundraisers for uh, different reasons. And Farm Aid is a big one to me too, because yeah. I just really want people to support like the biggest fight that we're in is this battle against big corporate farming and agriculture. And so like the small farmer is, you know, I know, we've all been advocates of that for a long time, but we've, we've just got to keep talking about that with the public and really uh, helping influence how people make purchasing decisions. And I mean, like something that's really missing here with the, the community, the culture in general is that people just need to know where their food is coming from. Like, why would you just trust some kind of corporate greed with your, what you ingest? It doesn't make any sense to me and what you're buying. You know, so people don't understand uh, the rules of the game of that and the politics around it. And uh, so I think, you know, it's, I mean, Catherine, you know, I've been uh, more and more interested in food policy since the um, Beard Boot Camp that I went to. And, uh, you know, I don't, I'm not somebody who's been on um, the Hill yet, but, um, but I am very outspoken about, you know, what I think needs to change in our in our society and in our politics around food. And I, I really think that we need all need to sort of keep having that conversation with the public. Yeah, no, I, I would agree. And, you know, if for the, for the folks watching, um, you know, there's a number of efforts and many of which also impact farmers. So there's a couple of bills related to making sure that chefs and restaurateurs and farmers are reimbursed for their efforts in terms of emergency feeding. So the Feed Act, um, there's also, uh, you know, the Restaurants Act, which is about $120 billion relief fund directly for restaurants. And most of that is then to go pay purveyors and others, but it's grant money, not loan money. Um, Because as Neven pointed out and Elizabeth brought up, and I'm sure Rachel and Anita are this way too, you know, most of the restaurants are self-financed or bootstrapped. And so this time of being closed or at half or less capacity has really put a strain on the finances. And so there is, um, there is stuff out there and we can um, send it as a follow-up to those who are participating if you're interested in terms of public policy to get involved in. And, you know, at the start of COVID and even now moving through to the next, uh, there's a lot of discussion also about um, funding for young farmers and new farmers in there. So, um, 
very, um, it's, it's a big topic and hope to see more um, folks to use their voice, both on Capitol Hill or at the state level. Um, a couple more, uh, one, a couple specific questions about your continued pivots. Are any of you doing online cooking classes for fees or even for free? Anybody? No, I am. Well, there's a uh, Franklin Becker, who's a chef in New York, started a um, platform called 100 Pleats, in, which stands for the yes. 100 Pleats in a Chef's Toque. It's pretty old fashioned. Nobody wears a toque anymore. Um, and but it does the 100 Pleats stand for the 100 ways you can cook an egg. Um, so it's pretty cute. And um, there's a handful of people on there. Uh, they're also, you know, bringing on more and we'll start a bigger PR campaign around it. But um, they have lots of different options for um, chefs and also the different kinds of classes. Like my favorite one is basically like the cameo for chefs, which is like 10 minutes for $10 where you can order a chef to, um, you know, just look in your refrigerator and tell you what you might want to cook out of whatever's in there. Um, which sounds like a, you know, a TV show that people have been probably pitching many times, but uh, it's in real life, <laughs> so it could be cool. Um, and then they have like a 30 minute quick fire, which is like, you know, a one on one cooking class. They have also some group classes, kids classes. So um, I think we're going to see more and more of that. And I, I have to tell you, at first, I, w I was like very at the beginning of this whole thing. I thought, oh, virtual cooking classes. That just sounds like no. Um, but there it's, I've done a few for some corporate gigs too. And it, um, they can be very personal. I mean, I've had a, you know, 20 people or five people and even a hundred people one. And sometimes the smaller ones are better because somebody will say, I don't know if my sauce is working and I, they can just show it to me and I'll be like, Oh yeah, I just add a little more cream or oil or whatever it is. And, um, and then it, you know, so it's, yeah, I can have this conversation and walk them through it and have yeah. them taste things and kind of, you know, check on it, which is pretty cool. Yeah, no, we've seen so much of it, um, virtual cooking classes, but I, I'm guess, guessing this uh, group is too busy trying to hold on to its spaces. And so um, let's talk about that. Who, you, everybody open for indoor dining on here or no one's open for indoor, even no indoor dining, Anita? It actually no. starts in a week. We actually finally are allowed And how are you preparing dining. for indoor dining? Well... We actually were open for indoor dining for a one week period and then got shut down again. Yeah, but um, anything special? Like, did you have to redo but, the floor plan, safety? Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, the safety protocols are um, very intense. Like, we, the, you know, we try to really identify all the really high, like, the high caution touch points, I would say. Like, you know, like clearing a table, like that we take that very seriously with like sanitation, gloves, like you think of like a table, a dirty table is like a contaminated table, like everyone has to sanitize after like touching something like that. And, yeah. Um, and Rachel, you know, just all those layers. All those layers. And Rachel, have you, you guys have been open for indoor. Did you have to do... Yeah, yeah. I mean, we've been open for indoor for 50% capacity for about a month and a half or so here. And I think more than anything, it's the, you know, big, just making sure you're spacing everyone out. Um, it is definitely very weird, you know, having your restaurant full halfway and then everyone wearing, you know, obviously gloves and masks and all that stuff. It just definitely brings a different vibe to the restaurant. Um, 
However, I mean, like you, you see so many customers who are coming in and then they are just really appreciative. I think, you know, they're being cautious as well. But at the same time, uh, you hear from so many people, this is their like first time going out to eat in like four months. And like when you hear things like that, you really kind of touch their heart because they're just like, they, they come in and they tell me that like, hey, they feel like there's a hope at the end of this because they're doing something that's semi-normal they've used to do and take, taking it for granted. So, yeah, no, it's, it's, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's back to being special, right? Like somebody's coming out, right? Oh, absolutely. And Anita, you're not open for indoor. Any expectation of when? Um, well, right now, I saw a report about how California is now inching, or Napa, I should say, is inching toward a full open. The thing that keeps me up at night is the fact that I have two tables inside. This table that I'm sitting at here and one table over there, all of my dining is outdoor. It's open air. So come uh, winter and the rainy season, yeah, no, that's a nightmare. No, that's everybody's. I feel like that's a constant theme of calls that I'm on now is like summer, fall has been, could be good, but winter, winter is coming, so to speak. <laughs> yeah, it right. really is. It literally is for us. And it, it makes me very nervous. But then I also have to remember that I've been here for four and a half years doing exactly this during the winter when it's raining and it's crappy out. But I would literally put all my tables inside and we get it all cozy together in here. I won't be able to do that anymore. So now I have to, again, pivot and really get that takeaway and cooking at home. And I'm hoping to maybe do a virtual uh, cooking class as well. But, you know, there's always that little voice in the back of my head. I'm like, ah, nobody cares about how you cook. But I got to get outside of my, that, you know, kind of mentality and just put myself out there a little bit more. Um, but yes, as we, far do. As we do care about how you cook. Yeah. Well, you want to know. <laughs> Thank you. But uh, sanitation, definitely. I mean, that's always been the highest standard at this little restaurant. We're a fast casual restaurant, but you come in, you still see my pots and pans. They're still silver. They are almost five years old. But now it's like at a whole nother level. I see something on a table. I'm like, let's go move. Like just yeah. I'm doing it myself. I don't wait for one of my servers to do it. It's very, very, very um, stressed, uh, kind of high level for me. Um, I'm very, very, very cautious. Yeah, and you you have a, a word that I feel like I hear more and more from chefs is stress, the added stresses, right? Like there was the added stress of being closed and dealing with your, you know, your employees potentially getting COVID and what that was gonna mean. Was there going to be resistance from people wearing masks, right? Like the safety, the, the supply chain, you know, and then the extra stress and pressure of like, oh, you're going to, as Rachel, you were saying, and Anita, you going, you know, getting Anita on Cameo might be a new life goal for me. But, um, right, is this idea of like, you have to, and even you said it too, and Elizabeth, you have to start promoting yourself more, right? Like there's a whole new way of interacting on social media that maybe some people were resistant to. So it's stress. I feel like stress and pressure has always been part of your lives, but is even potentially more if that's possible. You're all nodding at me like, yes, Catherine. Yeah. <laughs> yes, Catherine. <laughs> that's such a, um, you know, Paul Willis asked a question on here, um, which I think will be one of the questions that helps take this home. But, you know, you've got an audience here of farmers, ranchers, suppliers. How can they help you? 
what is it that you need from you know the that community to help our chef to help the chef partners? Anybody want to start? Um, I'll start. Um, I guess is keeping consistent with the product that you guys produce and the pricing. I think uh, a lot of fear early in this pandemic, like through the media, was like prices were going to skyrocket and it was really going to affect us and a refreshing thing was in our little bubble that didn't happen and just you know staying true to that and like really making sure that doesn't happen will help us as the end user yeah anita yeah same yeah agreed i mean i i have zero complaints right now everyone has been incredibly generous and really really you know just streamline with that but um also on the other hand you know we understand you also have a life and you know a family to feed as well so i hope we can work together to make it all kind of come together no rachel yeah because i mean obviously the restaurant and the supplier i mean we have such a symbiotic relationship i mean we are all having a really hard time i know the farmers have to you know they have to homeschool their kids you know there's a lot of different things everyone is it's having a really hard time, you know, doing juggling. And I think, you know, I mean, the price and all that stuff is that, you know, just maintaining the quality and maintaining the, you know, everything that you're doing. But at the same time, I, what I, what I would love is that I would love to get more stories. I mean, I think, you know, just like how our customers are caring about what we do. And I mean, more stories we can relate to, you know, even though it's not right here in Washington, Seattle, what's happening in different parts what different farmers are doing to keep their sustainability, keep their, what they're continuing to do, um, same. Being able to share more stories and being able to have more faces, being able to really see how everything, you know, just talking about the transparency of that, the restaurant, you know, the ecosystem, like we all need everyone else to survive and we all need, you know, their stories to inspire other people. And I think being able to uh, hear more about that and obviously those cute um, pictures of the, the piglets they're just amazing uh, um <laughs> and more of those yes. things come so yes <laughs> elizabeth farmers you know i'm just i don't forgive me because i only really know nyman ranch from more of the um to the restaurant community um and i i'm just wondering like is how i don't know if it's actually sold in a more retail setting um i don't know the answer to that actually yeah, I mean, there are definitely retail components to Nyman. So I think, you know, good storytelling, as Rachel suggests, or maybe recipes and highlighting chefs and farmers together, figuring out different ways to work together. Yeah. But you can definitely um, get the product. Yeah. Um, I mean, I guess I just like to see more of it in, in you know, in different ways, because it, obviously we can't get it all to restaurants um, the way it was. So maybe we just have to kind of come up with new ways to do that. Yeah, and that was an amazing pivot by suppliers of all types during this too. And I, that's the word I want gone after 2020 pivot um, is, uh, but it's true is that we saw a lot of folks that were particularly grocery, were restaurant level brands um, really figuring out how to do direct consumer, um, really figuring out how to repackage products. So it's been, uh, it's been an amazing thing to watch. Um, in the same vein as what, you know, how farmers can and ranchers can work more directly with you. What are you, what are you looking for from the sort of eater or the consumer? 
I mean, I presume you want them to wear masks when they come to pick up, but are there things that, you know, Neven, you mentioned in the very early days, people were buying tons of gift certificates. I mean, what is it that I, because I'm not a rancher or a chef, can do to support the restaurant community at this time? I think uh, just more, um, I guess, I don't know what word to use, but just like more info on like our industry and like what it takes to get something onto a plate. I don't think everyone still understands like all the layers. You just get one dish onto a plate. I think you know, people like yourself and can help kind of bridge that gap. Yeah. So eaters can, you know, learn more about, you know, their, where their food's coming from and what it takes to make it. Rachel, anything you want from customers? Yeah, no, everyone, um, sorry, having a, oh. um, everyone's been really great, but, um, just a little more empathy during this time. I mean, it goes really long way. I mean, like if you have a hard time wearing masks, I mean, just being a cook wearing a mask in summertime behind the line. I mean, if we can wear it for eight hour shifts, you know, it's not that bad. I mean, and I think just like kind of really being able to take care of each other. I mean, I know customers are always the king and they come in to be served, but I think this is a time where we come together as a community that we are there to just like kind of, you know, be able to enjoy the little piece of life that, you know, that we want to hold on dearly. And I think just being the restaurants to be the sanctuary, having more trust and having more empathy in the relationship would be really amazing. That's awesome. Um, we are just about at 90 seconds or two minutes, um, I think, right? Um, so just one last word. I mean, from each of you, I'd just love to hear, you know, one thing, you know, one thing that gives you hope um, at this time. So just super quick. Anita, what's giving you hope? This, this right here is giving me hope. <laughs> the, just the sense of community, everyone coming together and hearing stories. Yeah. Elizabeth? Um, I would say that this is just, you know, a moment in our history and it's, um, it's just our food and all of us are evolving constantly. So um, we're, we're creative people and we can, we can evolve and do things better. That's, amazing. that's, that's my optimism and my hope. <laughs> Rachel? Yeah, I'll say uh, food and cooking. I mean, food and cooking is something that exists, you know, with the human race for entire our entirety. I mean, it's 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 probably been different for every every generation, but we'll have food and food food and cooking after this and forever. So the fact that we get to do this, and I think we are lucky. Neven, mm -hmm. um, I think a sense of community and people actually care what we do. They do really. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's amazing. Um, I want to thank each of you, Elizabeth, Rachel, Anita, and even for joining us today here at um, one of these events for the Nyman Hog Farmer Appreciation. I really do wish we were all together on a farm holding um, a cute little piglets. Um, but everything you've said, right, the importance of community, the importance of our supply chain and our local suppliers, the idea that food and cooking will forever be here. 
Um, and that we all need to have a little empathy at this time. I mean, these and creativity at these times are, are really important lessons for everybody. So thank you. Um, and I just, my one last piece of, um, to the audience is thank you all for being here. Um, as I mentioned at the beginning, this is um, part of a series of events from Nyman for the Hark Farmer Appreciation Celebration. Um, you can visit the website, Nyman Ranch HAF hfad.com for more information, including a virtual cooking class um, with world-renowned chef Thomas Keller to raise funds to help young farmers. So um, if you're not already signed up for that, please do. But thank you all for having us. Thank you to the team at night for putting this on. Yeah, thank you to our tech support. And thank you all so much for all you do the community. It's so great to see all your faces. Have a great afternoon. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.